Hey, hey, everyone, and welcome back to Caffeine and Cats, a creepy podcast. I'm your co-host, Abby, along with Caitlin and Lou. We've missed you guys, and we are so sorry we left you hanging for the last few weeks, but we are back and ready to give you weekly episodes. Thankfully, Lou is done moving, and Caitlin is finally done with her wedding. Um, how have you ladies been? It's been a while since we've been able to. I'm doing real good. Just enjoying a weekend off. Um, mm-hmm. Been very busy. Got married a couple weeks ago and it's going How's well. the married so. life? About the same as it was before. Yep. But That's what I say. <laughs> Lou, how are you? I'm good. Uh, finally settling in on the new house. Uh, not enjoying the summer. Um, but I'm ready to sp- to, for this new start uh, and I don't have any more excuses now so we have to record and I have to <laughs> so I'm ready <laughs> all right awesome so today we are going to dive into some creepy cult stories as always please follow us on social media you can find us at caffeine and cats pod on instagram and caffeine and cats podcast on facebook give us a like and leave a review if you enjoy hearing our stories All right, so I guess I have a roller coaster of a story for you guys today to start out. Um, I'm going to be telling you about a group named Heaven's Gate. Um, Although that's not always what they were called, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Heaven's Gates was founded in 1974 by a man and woman named Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles. The two had met at a hospital where Bonnie had been working at a nurse in 1972. They both had like-minded ideas about mysticism, which in short basically means becoming one with God or the absolute. Some articles had said Marshall told Bonnie he felt like he had known her forever and that they already met each other in a previous life, while Bonnie said that she was told by extraterrestrials that she would be meeting Marshall. After reading different books and studying passages from the King James Bible in the New Testament, they decided that they had been chosen to fulfill biblical prophecies. They claimed to be the two witnesses mentioned in the book of Revelation. It took them a while to gain any followers, but eventually they posted ads for meetings to recruit disciples that they referred to as the crew. Some of the beliefs of the crew included that God was an alien, a highly developed extraterrestrial actually, And that they also thought that other humans on earth were bad aliens known as Luciferians that were stopping the human race from developing. So in 1975, the crew gathered at a hotel in a small town called Waldport, Oregon. The group gathered about 150 people from this town. And from what it sounds like, it seems like it was like the whole town was there. Um, And they told them all about the prophecies and the aliens coming. Most of the town didn't believe this, but about 30 citizens actually did decide to join them. They sold all of their worldly possessions, said goodbye to everyone they loved, and they just vanished. Um, Although the public did know about the so-called trip to eternity that the group had planned to take. No one actually knew where they went or what had happened to them. So the group was actually living off the grid, um, traveling the country, living in tents. They became beggars, but they still managed to evade law enforcement or even being recognized, which I find that incredible considering they had about 100 followers at that point. So, you know, there were 100 missing people and nobody recognized any of them. That just baffles me. During this time, they used different methods to gain more followers. They proclaimed the gospel of higher level metaphor- metamorphosis. <laughs> um, in 1985, Bonnie Nettles, the co-founder of the group, had actually died due to liver cancer. And at that time, Marshall decided to reform the group a little bit. 
And by the mid nineties, they started popping up on the internet and they even had a website of their own in an attempt to gain more followers. From what I've read, it did work. Um, you know, that was like the new era for internet and it was like the new thing. So, um, but like I mentioned before, the group changed names over the years, including being called HIM, which stood for Human Individual Metamorphosis, as well as Total Overcomers Anonymous, um, even during the 90s, they identified themselves under a business name called Higher Source, but finally they were just referred to as Heaven's Gate. Um, so in 1996, so fast forward to 1996, the group rented a mansion in Rancho, Rancho Santa Fe, California, that they actually paid $7,000 a month for in cash. In addition, the same month that they started renting this mansion, they also purchased alien abduction insurance that would cover up to 50 members and would pay out $1 million per person if they got abducted, impregnated, or killed by aliens. Wait, what? Yes, yes. I knew I knew you guys were going to ask about this, so I had to do some more research, and apparently it is very real. There's an insurance company in Florida that has alien abduction insurance and has sold thousands of policies. Come on. Um, I didn't, yes, and I didn't get to read um, the whole article but I'm going to read it and get back to you guys. They said they have actually paid out one policy before. So I will find out what policy that was. And I will let you guys know because I'm I curious. Know I know how they curious. That. <laughs> right. Me too. Um, and apparently they also had uh, the same company in Florida had insurance for people if they wanted to um, storm area 51, you know, when everyone was like planning to do that. So they had this insurance and they also have an additional insurance. I think they call it sarcasm insurance. And it apparently you can claim if your immediate family makes fun of you for having alien insurance. <laughs> I, mean, I really wish I was making this up. <laughs> they're incredibly smart or incredibly smart. I mean, they get gather money from something that they know people will pay. It really right. sounds like they're like just a big joke, but then people take them seriously and they're like, okay, well, if we're going to make money off this, let's do it. So right. the funny part is, I, I don't know if this is funny or maybe a little just hurtful to the, the true believers, but apparently uh, there are some policies where in the fine print, it says the benefits are actually paid out of $1 per year for 10 or 20 million years. There it is. Yep. <laughs> so yeah I don't but, know um, what to say to that <laughs> yeah obviously that's not the plan that they had that this group had because there's you know they said it would pay out one million dollars per person it only covered 50 people um but yeah so you know on other ones there are those catches um anyway so the most infamous act that heaven's gate did would be in 1997 on March 19th and 20th, Marshall would make a tape of himself saying that mass suicide was the only way to evacuate this earth. And he told his followers that there was a spacecraft trailing the comet named Hale-Bopp and that this event would represent the closure to heaven's gates. So essentially they would need to kill themselves in order to have a chance to get on this UFO that was trailing a comet. So each member, Yes, there were 21 women and 18 men, all between the ages of 26 and 72. Um, they died in three different groups. So they did it in you know groups of three of killing themselves between March 22nd and March 26th. 
So each member killed themselves by taking phenobarbital mixed with applesauce or pudding, and then they washed it down with vodka. Um, then after they would wash it down, they would put plastic bags over their head to induce asphyxiation. Um, they were also found with, they were, every single person in this group was wearing matching Nike track suits. They were all black and they were wearing black sneakers um, and they had a patch on their sleeve that was to represent their group. And they had a purple cloth that laid over their body. And it said that when the cops got there to see every, you know, to see it all, the house was pristine. It was very clean. Everyone died in their bed. Um, and it, it sounds like, you know, um, the first group killed themselves and then the next group sort of cleaned them up and made it look nice. And then the second group killed themselves. And then finally there were two men left who took their lives last, but they made sure everyone was covered in their purple towels. I'm sorry, their purple blankets. Um, I'm not exactly sure what they were called, but actually how the police officers came about, because you know, everyone in the house was gone. So there's no one to call the police and say they need help or, you know, change their mind, go back on it. Um, the leader of the group had actually sent out a package to one of their former members. And so on March 26th at 3 p.m., they got an anonymous phone call that said, uh, I need you to go check on someone. I want to report a mass suicide. And they gave them an address. And that is when the whole entire group was found so sad i mean yeah definitely there were people that actually needed help and they probably ended uh -huh. up in that group um I, I definitely i agree i mean i don't think that some cults are hurtful you know and they do really bad things and i'm not saying that none of these you know these members were good people but it seems like they really just believed in ufos and aliens and extraterrestrials and they thought that they were going to get a better life if they took their life Right. Crazy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what do you ladies have for us today? So in my case, it's not aliens um, and it's a bit more rough uh, and, and it's way more uh, known. I mean, I've never heard of uh, Heaven's Gate. Um, basically, I've stumbled upon this story that apparently had a huge impact on my country and that even a very famous actor was part of and I have absolutely no idea. So my story begins with David Berg, a Protestant pastor that was expelled from his own church back in 1960 there in the US. Right after he took the wave of hippism where he could preach how he was the chosen one and that the, his mission was to gather all the God's lambs to save them from the end of the world. So in 1969, he created the children of God, also known as the family. And that's a really bad name. Um, now, this cult based itself on love and peace. Uh, Berg stated that love was the most powerful force in the world, and the best way to express that was through sex, and that sex was God's favorite activity. Now, that sounds super fun, but it really wasn't. Sexual freedom was a big part of this cult, and it wasn't about having fun and exploring bodies, but more like a religious activity to satisfy pleasure and to strictly follow God's word. He settled in Huntington Beach, California, alongside his wife and kids, right when the hippies and the psychedelic era was at its peak, so it was the perfect place for him to begin his project. He was the highest leader and will make people 
call him Father David Moses, David or Chismo. He interpreted the Bible in his own way, of course, uh, through Moses' letters, about 3,300 of them. He created then his church's Bible. In California, he will send his daughters to the beach to recruit young people and even kids to join his church, since according to him, those were actually God's lambs. But they will recruit using flirty fishing. He used his daughters to seduce strangers into his cult. One of his many rules was that women had to use their bodies to recruit new members. That, that's, I mean, that's just uh, religious sex work, if you ask me. Yeah, that's exactly what that sounds like. So this piece of crap will say that, and I quote, if a 16-year-old girl could, regret, could get pregnant due to God's will, why wouldn't she have sex? End quote. He would claim that masturbation was like having sex with God and that everybody, everyone was married to everyone. So this technique, if you can call it that, was used between 1974 and 1987 until the HIV epidemic started. Mo had a strong theory that in 1973 or 1974, an asteroid was going to destroy the world and that's why he had to rescue everyone. Of course, the, cult, the cult began having legal issues. The family was then accused of tax evasion, polygamy, rape, incest, and even kidnapping of children. So that's when they started migrating to Europe, Asia, and South America. By 1977, the church had an international presence in several countries and will change their names to avoid legal prosecution. They began using the names like the family of love, love's law, and the children of God, depending on which country they were in. But as years rolled by, two of David's daughters and one of his granddaughters made public the sexual acts that occurred inside the cult, especially against minors. They would claim that David Berg was a sexual maniac that will use the excuse that all that was done under God's view was good and that he could commit hundreds of sexual abuses, rapes, and incest. incest. <laughs> Regardless of that, Mo became a charismatic preacher with hundreds of followers and fans. Now, it was in the same year, 1977, when a family traveled to Venezuela to join the cult and provide their children with a good environment, freedom, and homeschooling. So that's how the Phoenix family came to the cult. The parents didn't have any jobs and they will ask for money on the streets while their kids sang church songs. One of their kids is now the famous actor Joaquin Phoenix. Him and his family felt part of Mo's group because aside from being all about sexual freedom, the cult was really connected to nature. Joaquin wanted to change his name to Leaf and started a vegetarian diet. And that's not far from another of Berg's rules that stated that kids should not eat red meat and only eat cereals and milk. But the Phoenix and the family's union came to an end when the church wanted Joaquin's moms to participate in philosophy flirty fishing. By 1990, the cult was spread in more countries, mainly South America. And that's when my country comes in, because in 1993 in Argentina, the judge Roberto Marquevich executed seven raids on different places in the country due to a request from the U.S. government's consulate because they were looking for four kidnapped kids by the children of God. 
thanks to those raids, they rescued two, 268 miners from all those three locations. And after each raid, the country will learn about the flyers to recruit members and the worst videotapes that will encourage the early sexual initiation of kids. And following those raids, the newspapers won't talk of anything else but this whole thing. They mentioned how the cult will gain the money through donations and the sales from those tapes. Of course, Berg will keep 60% of the profit while the rest went to the congregation. Police tried to reach out to Berg, but they didn't know where he was. All they know, I mean, all they knew was that he was living somewhere in the world. Three months after the raids, the court uh, could not prove that there was any evidence of child pornography or kidnapping nor the kids being abused. So the case was dropped and everybody was set free. I found a whole website dedicated to explaining why each accusation was denied and it made me really angry to read. So I just dropped it. Wow. Yeah. But that's how my country works, by the way. So even, I mean, even months before in Spain, 22 kids were rescued from the cult. In France, after a raid was performed to 12 houses, they found 40 kids. And the worst in Australia, 140 kids between the ages of two and 16. A case That's I found- insane and so sad. It, yeah, very, that very is sad. so sad. Um, one case I found uh, that's really known is from the, a girl called Abigail Berrick. She was a very famous case for this cult because she managed to escape it and tell her story. She ran from, uh, from then and came to Argentina when she was only 18. She managed to survive and even wrote a book. Um, unfortunately, she died back in 2015. There's a really nice memorial site for her. I couldn't find why, she, I mean, the reasons why she died, I'm guessing it's natural causes, um, but her site is really nice and maybe Caitlin, I can give it to you and we can post it in our social media. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Now, David Berg died in 1994 and at the time of his death, he was under the investigation from both Interpol and the FBI, of course. His wife, Karen Servi, inherited leadership, but Gold landed in the headlines again in 2005 after their son, Ricky Rodriguez, killed himself and another former member of the group. Rodriguez was well known in the cult. His childhood had been recounted in the parenting manual spread among the members. Rodriguez left the cult in adulthood and his wife told the Times that he wanted his mother prosecuted for child abuse. At the age of 29, Rodriguez invited one of his former nannies, a woman who appeared in the book documenting his elected, alleged abuse and stabbed her to death before killing himself. His wife gave reporters a video he recorded the night before the murder-suicide. Quote, he said he saw himself as a vigilante avenging children like him and his sisters who had been subject to rapes and beatings, unquote. In 2004, oh the church again changed its name to the Family International. In the years following Burke's death, the group relaxed relaxed many of its demands of its followers in an apparent attempt to boost decline in memberships. Now, the followers are now allowed to live in private homes and work outside of the cult. In 2009, the leadership announced that they were no longer believed in the apocalypse and 
the church still exists and through its website, its website, it says that the group underwent a reorganization in 2010 as an online community and it has 1,700 members. And that's all I could find about this. Um, wow. I can't I believe they still have that many members. Yes. I mean, it went down because 1,700 members, it's way less than when he started. Um, right. But it's still, I mean, I found it really worrisome that people actually still go into these kind of cults. But again, right, right, right. it's people that really need support of some kind um, and, this, and they just fall into their claws. Misguided, and they just need some help, and they find the wrong people. Exactly. So that was my uh, long and sad story, Caitlin. What do you have for us? Okay. Well, I have one that is a little less depressing. Um. So, just a forewarning: this is going to have a bunch of Russian names in it. Um, my cousin actually studied Russian, so I made him send me the pronunciations, but I might still screw him up. So that's just your little forewarning now. <laughs> Sounds okay. good. Just read him slow. Right. Yes. I'm going to do my best. So what I'm going to be talking about is the Freedomites, which is a cult that was based in Canada. And the Freedomite movement formed in 1902 in Saskatchewan, Canada, as a splinter group from the Dokabores. It then spread to British Columbia. They later named themselves God's People and Sabadiki, which is Russian for sovereign people. And they would eventually become known as the Freedomites. And the Freedomites were known for three main things, communal living, nudity, and anarchy. And that's what kind of brought me into this at first because I'd never heard about this cult and cults fascinate me. So I have studied them quite a bit. Um, but this one was a little bit harder to get information on. I'm guessing just because of how old it is. Um, they oppose many things such as land ownership, using work animals and public schools and education. And they were widely known for protesting nude. By 1920, the Freedomites were commonly known as the, as the Sons of Freedom, but were often incorrectly reported as still being part of the Dokabores. By 1908, Dokabores within Canada began to split into two fractions, the community and the independents. The independents stayed in Saskatchewan, owned their own land, obtained citizenship, and their children attended public schools. At this time, the Freedomites lived nearby and protested against both fractions. And most of the confusion between the Freedomites and the, the Bokers came from the fact that they were all members that had moved from Russia to Canada to escape the religious prosecution that was occurring earlier in the century. They also wanted to seek land and obtain freedom. Some disillusioned members, unsatisfied with the broken promises from the Canadian government, attempted to return back to Russia. And when that was unsuccessful, they formed the breakaway movement, which like I said before, was the Sabatkini, but it was translated by the press into English as the Freedomites, so that's where that name comes from. Um, their meetings were very similar to those of the Russian spiritual Christians and Protestants. They sat on benches in simple buildings, prayed, and sang religious songs in Russian, and their ideas were traditional Russian communal living, 
So mainly they focused on growing food, building homes, and just living a peaceful rural life. They also had aesthetic religious doctrine and anarch attitudes regarding external regulation, which you're going to see come up very soon here. So the Freedomites became well-known for their public protests. Sometimes they publicly burned their own possessions and money while parading around naked. And the reason for the nudity was because they viewed human skin as more perfect than clothing because skin was God's creation while clothing was created by human hands and inevitably flawed. A small portion of the Freedomites were also known for their arsonist tendencies. They usually targeted material possessions and attacks continued throughout the 1900s, most notably from 1920 through 1960. They used a lot of fire and bombs. So the first recorded use of bombs was in 1923. Um, two bombers were killed by their own bombs in 1958 and 1962, so oops. They targeted their own property and the property of their nearby Dubuque neighbors. These attacks were further agitated by governmental pressure to enroll the children in the public schools because, as I mentioned before, they did not like being told what to do. The group also attacked transportation and communications. In 1924, nine Freedomites used dynamite to blow up a train. And in 1961, the Freedomites bombed a railway bridge in Nelson, British Columbia. Most of these attacks were done without clothing because once again, they like to be naked. The Canadian government's response to this was to take away the Freedomite children. Between 1953 and 1959, an estimated 200 children aged seven through 15 were seized and sent to an internment center which was described in the article as reading as a prison-like setting and located in November, Canada, New Denver, Canada, excuse me. This was known as Operation Snatch. Abuse allegations soon followed and an apology was demanded but never officially given. The last of the children were released to their parents after the parents swore before a magistrate that they would attend public schools. And just to put everything in perspective, because that's pretty much all the information I was able to find, um, the Freedomites were involved in more than 1,000 illegal incidents. They caused the death of around 12 people, and I don't know if that includes the two that accidentally blew themselves up. I'm assuming so. Their actions cost the Canadian government more than $20 million in property damage and court costs. And there are currently around 20,000 Dubuckers in Canada, and about 2,500 of those have ancestors that were Freedomites. So nothing too crazy with them. It just looks like they just wanted to cause a lot of issues. Right. <laughs> and I think that was just like thrown up to a hundred once the government started getting involved and in trying to get their kids to go to school and things like that. Right. Yeah. So, that makes sense. I really like wish that. I could have found more information. I kept looking. It's just not there. I don't know if there's some kind of like, cause Canada knew they were in the wrong for taking away the children. So right. I wonder how yeah. much of it was just kind of pushed under the rug then. Right. I was going to say, I kind of uh, like them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, besides the whole, like, you know, bombing everything, like, I don't think <laughs> yeah. they that bad. But so that was my cult. I just had never heard of them. And like I said, I really like cults. And to find one that was completely new to me was awesome. Right. Yeah, that's always exciting. Right. I found it really interesting. That was good. Yeah, I mean, I'll share some pictures and hopefully I'll be able to find a little bit more information on them and maybe share it in a later episode. 
Definitely. That sounds good. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed listening to our stories. Um, we'll be adding our photos and our sources to our social media posts. If you have any comments or even suggestions for future episodes, please reach out to us at caffeineandcatspod at gmail.com. We hope you guys have a great week and we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.